Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. Really excited that you guys could join us today. We're going to be talking about part two in our discussion of power and domestic abuse. But before we jump into that, let me remind you of PeaceWorks University. You guessed it, PeaceWorks University. That's our online membership community. Every week I come back and talk to you about it. And every week I keep looking for you to join. If you have not joined PeaceWorks University yet, uh, then let me just share with you. I think it's your next best step. The, The PeaceWorks podcast has so much material and so much content, and we're so thankful that you consume it week after week. But if you're looking for something more, maybe a little bit more organized, then PeaceWorks University is where you need to go. So please head over to chrismoles.org and check out PeaceWorks University. All right, friends, so we're back talking about power and abuse. In our last episode, I, I talked a little bit about my frustration or... Um, confusion. Maybe it, maybe I've got some areas that I can grow into, I'm sure. Just about acknowledging power in the dynamic of abuse and why it's so central to the conversations that, that I have. And in the last episode, you may recall, I said, you know, if I acknowledge power as being central to this argument, then I can't mutualize the abuse. I really have to understand that abuse is one person using power to control. So it makes it difficult to blame the victim in that case. I also can't hold the victim accountable for ways in which they resist that are uncomfortable to me. I need to put their resistance in the context of abuse. Now, there may be sinful things, wisdom things, foolish things that need to be addressed, but not to the detriment of holding the abuser accountable because the abuse is still the primary issue. And then thirdly, it might undermine or at least require me to nuance and think through my theology of authority. And so we spent our time last episode just talking a little bit about authority and power and uh, the call to the believer. So I thought I would discuss just a little bit uh, of commonly held uh, view of authority, theologically speaking. Again, I would never consider myself like the theological go-to on this stuff. Uh, but I'll just tell you the ways in which I was taught uh, in, in what we tend to call constituted or delegated authority. That's kind of the language that I was taught to use in Bible college in regards to how I understood authority, right? So in the Bible, there is constituted authority, or some might say delegated authority, because the first principle that's always present in this discussion of authority and leadership is who's ultimately in charge. And so for those of us who are believers, especially those of us who who are kind of conservative evangelicals, we come back to that reality that ultimately God's in charge, that, that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that he's the ultimate authority. And he chooses to use imperfect people to exercise aspects of human authority or earthly authority. And he often establishes that with conditions and uh, illustrations and um, principles that are common and understood in how we respond to that authority. 
the the four kind of big blocks, maybe the 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 quadrants of authority, if you will, tend to be government, as proposed in Romans thirteen. So you'll often hear people talk about constituted or delegated authority to the government, and they'll tend to use Romans thirteen. And there's a multiplicity of views on that. In fact, it's interesting to me how many perspectives there are on constituted authority when it comes to government and that God does institute government according to Romans 13. Uh, Another is Hebrews 13, I believe is the passage, and it's the idea of constituted authority in the church that God has set up this ecclesiological authority. Individuals who have authority to lead, to teach, to govern within the church. Okay? There is workplace. And that's a tricky one too because when you read passages like Colossians 3 or 1 Peter 2 that refer to what we would now call workplace, it's generally in the context of slavery. So there is this interesting dynamic of constituted authority or delegated authority between slaves and owners and how do you as a believer live in a context where slavery is part of your daily life? I don't think the Bible is um, approving of slavery. I think we have established that. But that how do you live? How do you live in that context of honoring God while also being in that relationship? And then the, the subcategory there is you know, worker and, and employee. And then the the fourth would be family, right? So I, I probably got them in, in reverse order because it should probably go family, church, government, work. But uh, for, the, for the sake of, you know, our conversation, they're just the four big blocks of constituted authority. And of course, family then, if you consider passages like Ephesians 5, establish this headship-submission relationship, this um, imitating God kind of relationship of uh, mutual submission, Ephesians uh, 5.21, and then specific aspects of how that's lived out in husbands and wives, and then children and parents and slaves and masters, as far as um, the passage goes. So constituted authority or delegated authority could be seen as an individual, a group, or a body of individuals with legitimate power, right, that are designed to carry out specific duties. So I think that's kind of an important unpacking, right, that Individuals are given authority, groups are given authority, bodies of um, people or institutions are given authority that are legitimate. Right? It's, it's in many ways legitimate power over to carry out specific duties, to accomplish certain tasks. And as we talked about in the last podcast, I think from a Christian perspective, those specific duties are to be carried out and that power is to be exercised in what we would call a power under model through servant leadership, humility, gentleness, and so on. And when we deviate from that and we practice a power over model, then passages like Mark 10 and Matthew 20 would would correlate or be helpful to see that that's really a kingdom of the world approach, that the kingdom of God operates very differently. Going back to Pilate's discussion with Jesus, that yes, I am a king, but my kingdom's not this world. It operates differently. Rather than my followers fighting, my followers will be martyred, right? Rather than me resisting violently, I will, um, 
I will suffer. And there is this interesting dynamic of how we don't use power over, we use power under. And so individuals who claim the name of Christ and find themselves in a position of constituted authority to whatever degree you feel you're capable of functioning there, right, um, should, I would think, honor God with that authority by being gentle, humble, servant-oriented, non-coercive, non-threatening, right, and non-violent. Now, some folks would differ with me on that, but that's where I'm coming from. So, constituted or delegated authority, I think, has to be pushed through the lens of Jesus in order for it to be effectively Christian. So, so common understandings or general principles that are often associated with this idea of constituted authority is, number one, human authorities are accountable to God in how they exercise authority. All right? So, human authorities are accountable to God in how they exercise authority. Those under authority are accountable to how they respond. So that is kind of these two basic principles. My fear, as I said in the last episode, is that we have moved delegated authority to the place of unquestioned authority. In other words, we value the second principle perhaps more than the first. The second being that those under authority are accountable to how they respond, while those in authority are accountable to how they exercise it. And I think really, when we're talking about aspects of abuse, we're not primarily talking about the second principle. We're talking about honoring God in the first. So let me say that again. When we're talking about aspects of abuse, those of us in the work are not talking about exercising the second principle. Those under authority are accountable for how they respond. We're primarily concerned with the first. Human authorities are accountable for how they exercise it. Who's holding people in power and authority accountable? Now, in each of those quadrants, it's different groups of people. Ultimately, God is going to be the one holding uh, the nations accountable. Romans 13 is in the context of, you know, follows Romans 12, that you and I as believers are to live at peace with everyone as much as it depends upon us. That includes governmental systems such as the ones led by Caesar, in particular Nero. How do we function in an environment that is so hostile and different to the one in which we exist? How do we live in the world while we're not of the world? We do it through peace. At least that's the way I see the passage. So this agent of God's wrath wields the sword, freeing us from that, because primarily it's about justice. Generally, we all are called to live at peace as believers in a system that seeks to serve justice but does it humanly. But we all understand that in this Romans 13 system, there are exceptions, right? I think that we would say that when the Romans 13 powers, the agents of God's wrath, attempt to force us to violate God's law using coercion, right, that we are called to resist. And we will all differ maybe in how we view that resistance. We can debate and talk about how we resist, but I think we would all agree that when constituted authority in Romans 13 coerces us, forces us to violate God's law, we have an obligation to resist. 
because human authorities are accountable for how they exercise the authority. And those of us who are under authority are accountable to how we respond. And I think not responding to injustice that attempts to force or coerce individuals to violate God's law is a problem. What about the church? Constitute authority of the church. When the leaders in the church coerce, threaten, create a climate of fear, they don't operate within the Titus or Timothy um, call to pastors and leaders when they are given to violence, when they're not gentle, when they're given over to drunkenness, when they don't practice self-control, right? Then, then what are we to do as people under authority? Simply to submit or are we to resist? Well, we're to resist. A means of church discipline and church processes to confront ecclesiological authority that exists outside of God's design. Is that true in the workplace? I would hope that Christians in the workplace would have the liberty and freedom to resist when a boss asks them to do something or forces them to do something that violates um, God's law. When they require them um, to do something that, that violates God's law, they should be able to resist. What about the family? For some reason, this discussion is difficult because when a victim of abuse, who is a wife, resists the abusive, domineering, and controlling um, behavior of her husband, she is sometimes and quite often brought to a level of mutuality to say that her resistance is equal to his abuse. That's all I'm getting at. At some point, we have to acknowledge that power and position and authority play a role and that we, as the church, are called to confront that. That's our primary job, to hold accountable those in human authority who exercise their authority um, in a way that's improper, abusive, or anti-Christ. And in all of these constructs, the family probably has among the most robust biblical and theological material in the scriptures to help us govern that, such as husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, such as uh, husbands love your wives, do not be harsh with them, such as uh, live with your wives in a considerate way, or else your prayers will be hindered. I mean, even that, even think about that for a moment, that the spiritual life of a husband is affected by his willingness to be considerate or inconsiderate. We're not even talking about abuse or neglect. We're talking about understanding, compassion, patience, being considerate. If that is such a significant part of our role as a husband, then how much more seriously will God take aspects of abuse? And how much more seriously should we as the church take aspects of abuse? No, friends, I, I have yet to see and this maybe this one will get me in trouble, but hopefully not. I have yet to see an abusive or oppressive in, individual being called to account as a sign or a means of undermining his power or authority. Quite the contrary. Calling abusers to count is to point a giant finger, a neon sign, to the authority of Christ. That's what we're doing. 
Because who is ultimately in authority is God. And when we willfully, intentionally, deliberately, and even indirectly in some ways, violate his heart, his will, and the image in which he's placed on another human being, should we not be held accountable for that? That's the real question of authority. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, and you have used your position of headship in the home to coerce, threaten, subjugate, create fear, control, and harm your partner, then it is not your authority I'm concerned with. It's God's authority. It's Christ's authority. Because your actions and your behaviors are contrary to what he has called you to. And we, as the church and people who love Jesus, have every right to call you to account. I'll go one step further. And your wife, who also claims to be a believer, has every right to call you to account and to call you to repentance. Well, folks, I don't know if we'll ever, ever find a complete theology of of power and abuse that will be acceptable to all of us. But it is a discussion that we have to have. I think it's a discussion that is needed far more in the church. We don't want anyone to abuse authority. We don't want anyone to abuse power. And certainly we don't want to elevate position, right, above uh, the authority and righteousness of Christ. Yes, we want people to be respectful. We want folks to honor those to whom honor is due. We want to respect that God is sovereign, even in corrupt systems, even in fragile and frail systems, and even in broken families. And in doing so, I think we can do a better job of caring for victims. I know I can do a better job, but I think we can do a better job of caring for victims by holding abusive people accountable, by not shying away from difficult topics like this, and by having an expectation that abuse isn't going to be mutualized, and that yes, we care how people respond, but first we're going to address the ways in which people lead. Because we want to follow the heart of Christ. We want to follow the direction of the scriptures. And we don't want the people that we lead to be hurt. We don't want the people that we lead to be threatened. We don't want the people that we lead to live in fear. Well, thank you again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. I hope to continue this dialogue in the future about power, but also about peace and safety in the Christian home. You know, we talk about that quite a bit here, but it's something that I believe is at in is central to the heart of God. I believe is something that we as a Christian church should long for, and that is a safe home and a safe church that promotes the principles of the gospel of peace in such a way that a watching world wonders how do they live at peace? How do they practice 
um, such peaceful living. And to do so is to be a testimony of the gospel and the way in which God can transform hearts. He can, folks. Thank you again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Appreciate you guys so much. Uh, please give us a, a rating or review. Let the platform know that you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. Okay? Until next time, folks. God bless.